1: Welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast, a podcast for those looking to change the world through education. Each week, we bring you a new idea, however
0: big or bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now here's your host, our dad, Ryan Scott. Hello, my Big Ed Idea friends. Welcome back to episode 2.2. This evening, we have got a special guest coming from the big town of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, we were talking prior to me hitting the record button. It is super cool the way world the world works. Um, say about five years ago, when I was a principal at Morganfield Elementary, we had this idea that we were gonna start to bring some trauma-informed practices to our elementary. And the very first video I ever showed to my staff had this dude and had his amazing school and it definitely inspired us to do some big things at that elementary at that time and here i am five years later i get to have matthew portell um on the big ed idea podcast um matthew is a dad he is a husband he is the principal at fall hamilton elementary which is like i said in nashville tennessee he is the founder of ride for reading he is an international keynote speaker. He is the founder of Paradigm Shift Education, and he is the Nashville 2020-2021 Elementary Principal of the Year. And to round all of that out, as if it, that is not enough, he is also a podcaster. So Matt, Matthew, thank you for being on the Big Ed Idea Podcast.
1: Thanks for thanks for having me. And uh, I'm excited to chat about the uh, big ideas. I mean, I think... Uh, we're in the midst of a lot of opportunity to get some of these ideas rolling in our field. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to be on here. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, man. Um, you know, the, the, the stated purpose of this, uh, several years ago, I heard a quote by Simon Sinek and he said, um, es- essentially, so I'm going to paraphrase, not everybody's got to have the idea. Um, sometimes it just takes one person's idea to connect with somebody else's passions and then that's how you get this avalanche of awesomeness. And so what I have tried to do on this platform is just give a space that um, big thinkers, big dreamers, um, people like me, people like you can just, let's just talk about what our ideas of education are. And hopefully, um, using the powers of social media, somebody out there We'll gravitate towards an idea and something will happen. And so, um, Matthew, thank you for bringing your Big Ed idea to us today. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate you being here, man.
1: Um, I'm, I'm glad to be here. You know, I think it's funny you say that because when I started my nonprofit, um, I always said I was just a spark that was fueled by a lot of gasoline by thousands of people around the country. Absolutely. Um, and I think what you just said, speaks to everything <laughs> that uh, we do in ed honestly that is that is the exact scenario that I use all the time about the nonprofit that i started so I love that
0: excellent man and you're not is your nonprofit is it the uh, paradigm shift education
1: it's actually ride for reading um, oh, okay, and okay. I hate to say it but it no longer exists um, okay after 12 years of running the nonprofit, well, I didn't run the nonprofit. I started it, found it, ran it for about five years. And then we actually started hiring staff due to COVID. um, All of our fundraisers had to be canceled. They were social events. Sure. Um, And so after a good 12 year run and a half a million books donated to kids in low-income areas, uh, we kind of closed the, uh, the doors. Uh, But you know, I was very confident, like, hey, it had a great run, 12 years, a half a million books, great things happened. um, And I stand in this space of like, pride of uh, the people who I was surrounded with that just took my idea and and ran with it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, when I, uh, when I was an elementary teacher, let's see, I was in the classroom for 10 years, taught kindergarten, first grade, um, and second grade, and one of my Christmas presents every year because I taught in a very low income, was to get books donated and to give them to all of my students, knowing that their houses had zero literature. Um, so I just love that idea. I love what you did. Um, who knows, you know, you're, you know, life's not over. You might bring
1: something similar back one day. You know, that, I, you know, I, that, that is always a possibility, uh, for sure. And I know people even today, um, still do book deliveries via bicycle around the country. Um, and that's what it's about. It's not about the organization. It wasn't about that's the nonprofit. Right. It was yeah. about getting books in the hands of kids. And every May, we had a National Ride Free Week. And I'm still excited to see that every May, even after uh, we close the doors, people are still delivering books, which is what it was about anyway. So yeah, awesome, absolutely. Man.
0: Awesome. I love it. All right, my friend. So um, like I said, this, this whole thing, the Big Ed idea is just two guys Um, or two people that just talk about our ideas. And um, I'm really intentional of modeling that idea of connections before content. I know you believe this. Um, I am a firm believer in relationship-centered learning. Um, And so the first thing that we try to do before we jump into the meat is to find out a little bit more about each other. Um, And so the first question I always like to talk about is just essentially what is going on right now in our lives? Um, and, and so as we record this, um, it is Sunday, January the second for me, um, in the other room, my three daughters, I guess, do not realize that they start school tomorrow because they are having, um, a dance party with Alexa and with a disco ball. Um, I heard some Lizzo, um, I heard some baby got back, um, They, they are busting it down and I don't think they realize that they've got school in 45 minutes, but Hey, whatever. Um, So that's, what's going on at the Scott household. Um, What is going on at the Portels house,
1: man, believe it or not, we pulled in about three o'clock this afternoon (laughs) vacation, which has been amazing. Um, So on Christmas, I have a 10 year old who turned 11 on the 28th oh, cool. so he's now 11 uh, but on the 20 on, on Christmas uh, we surprised him with a letter um, asking him to come to Hogwarts at Universal Studios oh, so in Orlando. Cool. and so we packed up that night drove halfway uh, the next day and then we've been at Universal and Disney for the last week I'm not like a big theme park person but I'm gonna be honest tell you it was awesome. Like we yeah, sure. had so much fun. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. We, we enjoyed every minute of it and now we're back and my wife is chilling. He's chilling on the couch cause we're all pretty tired.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I, uh, so I've got uh, four daughters. I've got an 18, a 10, a seven and a four year old and my 18 year old, our thing growing up was Harry Potter. Um, one of our things was always to go to that place. And so that's definitely on our bucket list. So, uh, you know, I don't know, she's 18, but I know she'd still like to go there.
1: It's, it's, it's amazing to be honest. And don't go on um, the week of Christmas. It's that's not the
0: best. <laughs> okay. All right. Duly noted. All right. <laughs> so uh, Matthew, I always like to also um, ask two getting to know you questions. Um, most of the times they have nothing to do with education uh, just to find out who Matt is. Um, Because I mean, I know you'll understand this, but sometimes as educators, we get so wrapped up in education that we forget there's this whole other side to us. Um, And I know, you know, my staff at school, I like to know who they are outside of the building. Um, And so I want to know who, who Matt is outside of this big ed idea uh, space. And so, My first question for you, just imagine um, that you were to wake up tomorrow and you were not in education. So you were not an educator. Um, What do you see yourself being?
1: I see myself being a park ranger. Yeah, (laughs) right on. Seriously, that I before I went into education, I actually wanted to go into forestry and actually was going into forestry. Uh, and I was living in Illinois at the time and realized there's only 72 across the state and like nobody ever leaves. So there aren't any jobs. And I'm going to be honest, my world was pretty small. Sure. So I didn't see myself out of my home state. Um, and so I started trying to navigate what it is I was going to do. My son claims he wants to be a game board and uh, park ranger as well. So we'll see. Maybe hey. I told him when I retire from education, maybe I'll go on to being a park ranger and we can be like the dynamic duo. Father, son, uh, park rangers. We'll see.
0: So it's really cool. Two connections to that. Um, I actually was an aquatic biology major um, at Murray State. That's that's initially what I was going to be. Um, But life happened. Um, I like to talk about my wandering years where I got way off track. um, and finally made it finally made it back. Um, My other connection to that next weekend for my 41st birthday my dog and i are going to southern illinois and going to do another section of the river to river trail um yeah so i just got a new pack it should be coming in tomorrow um it's supposed to be in in the 40s so it's going to be a really really nice time to do like 25 mile hikes. so
1: awesome i definitely i enjoy being outdoors a ton which is why theme parks really aren't my thing yeah but like Going out and fishing and I've, sure. I've bike packed where I rode the Katy trail across the state of Missouri, a buddy of mine, and we packed everything on our bikes and camped along the way. Very cool. That's more kind of things that I love to do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, that's awesome. Yeah.
0: All right, my friend, my next one. Okay. I don't know if you have jumped on this um, bandwagon, but a lot of the folks in the edgesphere um, several years ago started this thing called the one word. Um, And so I'm curious if Matt has thought about, like, what is your focus for 2022? Like, if you have that in one word, Um, if you don't, maybe what's something you are focusing on professionally, maybe even personally for
1: 2022? I don't, but I do. Uh, It's always a word that sticks with me no matter what, and it's disruption. Um, Love Love it. And the reason that is, is because... The longer I do this work, the more passionate I get about why we have to undo things that want have been done and redo things that need to be redone. And Perfect. so, I think some of the paradigms that we're operating in, even to this day in education, are not only archaic, um, but are are time. time We've got to do better. Yeah. So disrupt, disruption is probably the word.
0: Perfect, perfect. My word um, for this year is actually God wink. Um, I picked it up uh, kind of towards the middle of last year. Um, COVID has been tough. Um, it, it, you know, I, I'm definitely one person that that struggles with imposter syndrome, um, anxiety, that kind of stuff. And so, I started being very intentional of every day when I woke up. Looking for the Godwinks that let me know that I was doing the purpose that I was set out to do. And so every day when I get to school, I try to look for those Godwinks. Um, and to be quite honest, looking t- towards 2022, I feel like there's probably going to be more stress. Um, every time we think we have this thing together, something else happens. Um, and so I'm trying to be very intentional of being positive, keeping my being very purpose led, purpose driven. Um, and so every day this year I'm looking for my Godwink and I'm going to post it every single year. So, and, and selfishly, I think I see a book in my future about God winks. So, um, I'm trying to kind of lay down the foundation for that as well, but, um, yeah, so that is my two, uh, Matthew, what two
1: do you have for me? I have, um, one is, did you get into education because, and I know this is supposed to be about education, but it's something no. I ask people all the time. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. someone inspired you or because someone um, wronged you uh, as an educator? I've learned that in my career, people either get into education because they had a model of what to be or yeah. a model of what not to be. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, okay, so I'm going a- to... I've told this story before and I'll tell it again and I'll be totally 100%. I initially got into education for the summers off. Um, No, I'm dead serious.
1: Yeah, I I get it. I get it.
0: And here's why. Um, I became a dad suddenly at 22 when I was 100% lost in the world, Um, found out I was going to be a dad and learned very quickly that life was not all about me Um, Mm. at that time. I was like, oh shit, now I got, like, I got to grow up. What am I going to do now? And I had done a little bit of coaching. Um, I was a seasonal naturalist at a state park for a little bit during one summer. So I knew I liked kids. Um, I was into like art. I was into social studies. I was like, well, you know, teaching, you kind of get to do everything. Um, And the local community college actually had an elementary ed um program. It was a two plus two program with Murray State. And then um, the way God works, at the time I was a bartender, and one of my regulars worked at the community college. And he was like, Ryan, I think I can get you some free money. I was like, free money? He's like, Yeah, I can totally pay for your first year because you're a, an adult and I can get you an adult ed, whatever something. So that's initially why I got into education, but um, I'm pretty sure like the moment I walked into the classroom and it was never about the content for me. It was always about the relationships and I'm just a big kid, so I like to hang out with kids. And so being in the classroom with the kids um, kind of hooked me. So that's, that's why I got in Ed.
1: Awesome. So yeah. if you could meet anybody, um, not in education world, anybody in the world, who would it be?
0: Okay, so <sighs> I am reading a book. Um, James Patterson just came out with a book, The Last Days of John Lennon. Um, and it talks about, um, it's, it's kind of flashes back and forth between um, the Beatles kind of um, focusing around John Lennon and his life. And then it also focuses on uh, Mark Chapman, um, the last days of how he planned to assassinate or, or kill John Lennon. Um, I would love to meet John Lennon. Um, I have read several books about him, but the way James Patterson writes it, like I'm really second guessing whether John Lennon was my favorite Beatle or not. Um, The more I find out about John, to be quite honest, like the less I like him. Um, I always loved John Lennon. I always um, associated kind of my purpose with that quote. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. Someday I hope you'll join us and the world will live as one. But the more I find out about John, um, I don't know. He was very Mm self-centered. So that's who I I just like to pick his brain. Yeah. Cool. All right. All right. So all right, Matt. So now that you know me, now that um, I know you a little bit better, let's get into this whole education space. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. Okay. So um, you kind of gave us I guess you gave us an appetizer on your origin story. Um, but I would love to know, and I know our guests would love to know. So Matthew Portell now is this uh, big deal education dude, rock star in Nashville, but, um, how did you initially find
1: education? I would say I, we might have very similar stories. <laughs> um, although I didn't get into education because the summer's off, um, <laughs> But the way I found education was education found me, honestly. Amen. Amen. Um, I ran from being an educator for many years. Uh, I ran from a lot of things for many sure. years. Sure. Um, but I was always told, like, you work really well with kids. You need to work with kids. You need to work with kids. And I knew that kids radiated towards me. And I think it was my kid-like spirit, to be honest. And I still am. My sure. my 11-year-old and I have the same humor and a lot of levels. <laughs> and my wife... <laughs> Does not share the same humor, so <laughs> we did a lot of laughing over the last week for a variety of reasons. Sure, but, um, I, I ran from a lot of things for for many many years, and I basically uh, I met my wife who saw the potential in me that I didn't see in myself, um, and kind of put bumpers on my free spiritedness because I was a very free spirited person. Extremely, a good woman will do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I needed that. Right. Like yeah, I, so I didn't think I didn't have I didn't have the vision of myself having the capacity of what I, I am capable of doing. But she saw it in me. And so she's like, you got to get back to school. You got to finish this up. Like, And so I'm like, I'll take some education courses. As soon as I got into the content courses of education, I knew exactly this is where I should be. My motivation kicked in when I got into a classroom, even for my practicum. I knew this is the space. That I was supposed to be in. From that moment uh, on, it was just kind of a full throttle commitment. Sure. Um, and I will tell you the the paradigm shifting moment that I've had in my career. Um, when I graduated from my undergrad, I squeezed uh, four years of college into 10. And so uh, I stayed in college for a really long time, right? Um, which means I have a lot of student loans. Yeah. Uh, so- Amen, buddy. Let's hope the forbearance comes through, or, or the, the, not the forbearance, but the- uh, Mr. The, Biden, the... if
0: you're listening, please.
1: Please, please. <laughs> um, but no, what, what I realized is uh, I, gr- I went straight into graduate school after graduating, graduating with my bachelor's. I started immediately in that yeah. January. I got hired in November as a teacher. Um, I had a class, uh, Dr. Marzak, and he had us do the Strength Finder book with the five uh, top strengths. And he basically taught us to focus on those five strengths of ourselves, and just yeah. manage or find people to support the absolutely, weakness. yeah. And let me tell you, that was the game changer. I'm an activator. I don't wait for other people to do something. I'm going to do it. And if I fail, oh well, I'll figure yeah. out a different way to do it. And so I think that set the trajectory of my career. Um, that class, Dr. Marzak's stance and his lesson that he taught us um, had me pushing forward and things because I hated school. Um, when I was younger, I hated it. Um, I was told I was obnoxious. I was suspended. I actually was kicked out of my first year of college. Um, I hated school because it didn't, I didn't fit school. Um, and so I think where a lot of my passion comes in is school doesn't fit a lot of kids. Yeah. Um, but we try to fit all the kids into school. Yep. And that isn't how we work as human beings. We're each individuals. We carry our own baggages. We we have our own experiences. We learn in our own ways. Um, and when I got into the classroom, I taught in that way. I taught non-English speakers. I was an EL teacher. Um, I taught unconventionally. I loved community of my school, of my class. Um, I wasn't a... Uh, it's funny cause I've connected, reconnected to some of my students and they told me things I didn't even remember, sure. um, that I did as yep. a teacher, yep. but I taught in a community relationship based, um, classroom culture. Um, it was not punitive driven. It wasn't shame driven because that's all of the strategies and techniques that were used on me that made me become a 23 year old who had a very low self-worth, and didn't think I had the capacity or ability to do anything. And so I think that um, that's how it started. And from that point on, I've relentlessly and unapologetically done what's right for kids. Um, even maybe when other people didn't believe that it was what was supposed to be done.
0: Yeah. No, I, the couple things that really resonated um, with me. Yeah. That, that was very much the type of teacher I was. I was one that stood on the desk and I can remember uh, teaching fourth grade science and we were talking about light and talking about refraction, reflection and um, whatever the other one is. And I remember, oh, absorption. And I remember um, taking a bottle of water and pouring it out on the ground. And the kids going, oh, and I was like, that's absorption. The water hit the carpet, it absorbed, nothing happened. Um, But yeah, that was very much the type of kid or teacher that I was at that time. Um, Second thing, when I discovered... The responsive classroom approach, um, it completely, that and positive discipline, um, let's see what else, uh, brain-based learning, that kind of stuff, when it when when it found me, um, it completely changed my perspective of education. I, I actually tried to leave twice, um, I applied to be a police officer two times. Um, First time I was wanting out of the classroom because of behavior. I couldn't deal with kids, couldn't deal with their behavior. Then I got full custody of my oldest daughter. So that gave me a um, kind of a God wink that I needed to stay in it. Second time I applied for the state police was going through it and my wife got pregnant and she's like, you're not doing it. Um, And so, yeah, I, I, totally get it. But then when I figured out that it was all about the relationships um, that's when the punitive stuff could go out the door, um, and, and now I'm I'm a firm believer in and it's the conversation, not the consequence, that changes yep. the behavior. Um, and so, okay, okay, okay. So that's how education found you. Um, you've been in this game how many years now? This is year sixteen. Sixteen, yeah, me too. Or is this fifteen? One of those. So you have been around. Have you always been in the Nashville area?
1: I have, my whole career has been in Nashville. I have not always lived in Nashville. Um, I was originally from I was, um, was originally from Illinois. I okay. came to Nashville uh, for college in 1995 before I was kicked out of the college that I attended. Um, and then I just kind of went rogue. I lived I in it. Oklahoma. I lived in Illinois again um and just kind of bounced around um and then when my wife graduated she's an engineer uh from Southern Illinois University of Edwardsville uh she's like let's move somewhere i'm like let's go to nashville i've lived there before it's close it's an awesome um, we can town that's how we came back so we've been here 17 years
0: right on okay so you've been in this game for 16 years you've seen a lot of things Um, I would say that you've been in it long enough to know what works and what doesn't work. And so, um, you know, we're going to talk about your idea. But before we talk about your idea, what is the problem in education that your idea hopes to alleviate?
1: I think the problem is the use of shame um, and the idea of behaviorism within the context of classrooms and schools. Uh, It is a very big problematic process that has been innately grounded in our schools for literally centuries. Um, And so I think the way in which we handle kids and the gaps that they might have, um, and I don't even want to say behavior, I want to say their social and emotional health, um, is what I'm trying to disrupt.
0: Amen. Completely agree. Um, I remember being, like I said, I was in the kindergarten teacher and I remember having students literally that came in with the um, social and emotional, probably intelligence level of a two or three year old. Um, And yet we were expecting them to, to behave the exact same way as a child that went, that had pre-K. I know you'll understand this, um, but when we had these kids that um, have little to no education exposure and then we throw them into traditional kindergarten. Um, Is it any, how do I say it? Is it any surprise that they are getting labeled for IEPs by kindergarten or by Christmas? Um, No, no, this is a a, a big tangent. I could go on forever, but kindergarten should be the great equalizer. It's not the great equalizer. It's the great divisor. And uh, so, okay, so that is kind of the shame, the behaviorism, um, what is your idea, Matt, to kind of counteract that?
1: I think, um, in simple terms, trauma-informed education, creating a trauma-informed, um, space where educators understand the impact of stress and trauma and what that looks like in the day-to-day for kids. Um, and I, want to, want to preface by saying, when I say trauma-informed, I don't mean big, big T trauma. Sure. I'm not specifically saying the child was physically abused or sexually abused or emotionally abused or their parent was incarcerated because some what I've learned over time is when you say trauma, for some reason, people correlate that with poverty. Sure. Um, and that's not what I'm talking about. And especially now when I say trauma informed dad and I have it in front of me, um, we have relational uh, trauma happening across all socioeconomics, where mm-hmm. there's relational um, disconnect that kids are not building and experiencing healthy relationships. Um, and so I, I, when I say trauma-informed data, this encompasses everyone. Yeah. Um, and it's ground in a lot of uh, trains of thought, but trauma being uh, not what happened to someone, but the way in which their body, brain, physiologically and neurologically processes whatever it is that happened to them.
0: Yeah, yeah. One of the, the surprising thing. Um, so, I guess about two months ago, my English four teacher asked me to talk to our junior class and senior class about. Um, they were looking. They had asked um, for uh, basically a lecture or or some content on stress and how to deal with stress and how to deal with life. Because um, we've been very intentional this year, we we turned our English four class into more of a life. So this is what life is going to be like after high school. Um, and so it was, I'll tell you, Matt, I gave every junior that was in those classes and there were six of them. They all did the A screener. Then we all talked about stress. We all talked about the results of stress. I gave them some of the, um, I guess some of the, I don't know. How do I say it? Like, like if you have an A score of four or more, you are like a thousand times more likely to attempt suicide. we talked about some of that stuff. Uh, We talked about uh, life is the hardest thing you ever have to do. If anybody tells you different, they're an idiot or they're on drugs. Um, We talked about all of that stuff um, because you're exactly right. But the thing that I had to make sure that I told those kids were, The ACE study was not even studied. They didn't even study poverty. It was people that were working at Kaiser Permanente Hospital, which were primarily middle-income white people. And these were the people that were having all of these big trauma pieces. Um, And then we talked about how, you know, they're the people that are supposed to have it all together. Um, And then we talked about that. You're exactly right. It doesn't always have to be big T. And I like that you said that, because stress is stress, and the way that our our body um, responds to stress is the same, whether it's a big T or a little T. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's key that, you know, one thing that I dream that will happen is that every educator will have to go through um, a pre-student teaching course on what is the impact of stress and trauma on your physiological neurological selves? What is, what is the vagus nerve? How does the polyvagal theory work? Why is it that when we get stressed, our heart beats faster and we try to take in more oxygen and the blood flows through our appendages. It's because it's primal. These yeah. are processes in which our body goes through to keep us safe. And when it stays in that state, uh, you know, with the A study, it was about health outcomes. So yeah. um you know we're so far past the a study now in this work where now we're looking at the impact of systemic racism we're looking at the uh the impact of lgbtq kids and That's how right. the stress impacts all kids and communities and disproportionately kids from uh minority groups of whatever form right and sure. so i think that what you just said is so powerful that if we could have every high school have these open conversations with kids about, listen, this is what happens when you're stressed. In my school, in an elementary school, we teach every kid mindful breathing and movement. Perfect. How to use breath as a way to calm the vagus nerve. It's the only way to calm the vagus nerve is through rhythmic breathing. And I use a pulse oximeter and I put it on kids who are really escalated. They come in. If you know what a pulse oximeter is, nobody knew what they were. It, yeah. But you can take your, your heart rate as well as your oxygen levels. I don't use it for the oxygen levels. I use it for the heart rate and just co-regulating, which means I'm bringing kids into my calm. I'm staying calm and I'm rhythmically breathing with them. I can actually show them on the pulse oximeter, their heart rate decreasing at an extremely rapid rate. So I had a little girl come in at 157 beats per minute. And within two minutes, we were at 75.
0: so, And that's
1: because we, I was staying calm and we are human beings. Connection is the key. And I've said it before, and I know Bruce Perry put the quote in his book, and I'm sure somebody said it before me, but I said a dysregulated adult cannot regulate a dysregulated child. I have to stay, but a dysregulated adult can dysregulate a regulated child. Sure. Like I come in hot, it's going to raise the temperature of the room as a principal. If I come in hot, it raises the temperature of the school. Yeah. And so understanding these pieces um, are going to be key moving forward in this field of education. Because right now, self-care is such a hot topic. It's at the forefront. But I don't want us to self-care ourselves to the point our kids begin to suffer. Which means I don't have time for you because I have to take this time for me. Therefore, you're causing me stress. Therefore, I can't have anything to do with you as a kid because it's impacting me. It's more that I have to take care of myself. So in those moments of need that you are in, in a regulated state, I'm able to stay calm so I can co-regulate with you. Because at the end of the day, our kids are still depending on us to show up every day, even when they're dysregulated. Yeah. And so I think when we talk about self-care and wellness and, and all of those pieces, we have to connect it back to that so we can remain in that space of regulation. So our, when our kids need us, we're there and able to co-regulate with them. Um, and, be, and, and I think this has to become um, a, a pivotal and a core part of any teacher prep program. Teachers need to understand this about themselves first, because I'm going to be honest, this work is really the byproduct as kids. The work is about us. Yeah. The work is about what do we do? Absolutely. Not do what our kids are responsible for learning, but what do we do as the educator? Absolutely,
0: man. A couple, three things I want to touch on about there. My, uh, as, I'm, as I'm writing a book um, to be out sometime, hopefully by the end of the year, on hope um, one of the things that I'm going to start to talk about is this idea of psychology before pedagogy. Um, kind of exactly what you're talking about, that we have to pay more attention to the psychology of education. Um, I feel like high stakes testing uh, made us go the, all, the the other way and started focusing on, you know, uh, essential questions and what's our lesson plans look like and do we have the right uh, blooms verbiage and blah, blah, blah. And we completely forgot about stress and we forgot about life <laughs> that our kids are coming to us with. Um, and, and I know that that might upset some of the people, but I'm okay with that. Kind of like you, I'm okay with this. Oh, I care.
1: agree with that 100%. Yeah.
0: Um, and then my second thing I am going to get me a pulse ox because I love that idea. Um, my kids at my high school know if they need a place to vent if they just need a place to come and cuss, holler, rant, rave, my office is always open and I get tons of kids every day for that very reason. Uh, Sometimes to the chagrin of teachers, because kids instead of blowing up in the classroom, they'll just walk out and come to my room and blow up. Um, But I'm going to get me one of these because I think that's a powerful strategy. And then the third thing um, you touched on this on your video. And if anybody out there, has not seen matt um he's got a video on edutopia that talks about his school and i think it was from 2018 maybe
1: it was produced in 2018 they filmed it in 2016 okay
0: okay so he has this strategy which is the check-in check-out with your teachers um and and i've kind of made it my own to where i walk the halls every day, usually as much as I possibly can, but I'll just look in the room and I'll give teacher a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And my teachers know that if it's a thumbs down, they are welcome to leave the classroom for about three, four or five minutes and I'll take over. Um, I also try to give my teachers bathroom breaks as much as possible just to get out of their classroom because you are exactly right, my friend. Um, a dysregulated adult can deregulate a regulated kid
1: it's a fact and and what we use is tap in and tap out is what we call it um and we use group me i don't know what forms of communication schools use we quit using walkie talkies yeah because they're triggering for kids in a lot of ways kids names were being said over the walkie we had siblings One sibling would hear their brother or sister's name and it got them all worked up. People were saying things over the walkie about dysregulated kids that shouldn't be said in a public space. And so we use GroupMe, which is just a free app of communication where people don't have to share their cell phone numbers. Um, And it can actually be accessible via a computer. It's 100% free. Um, And by no means am I associated or do I get any kickbacks from GroupMe. Uh, However,
0: me If you're listening, you can throw him a couple dollars. He'll be all right with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we have multiple channels. Um, the admin or my core team, I, admin is just myself and my AP. The core team are my coaches, my social worker, my school counselor. We built a massive team now over the last seven years that I've been the principal. But we have all of the channels. And now we have a Be Well in Schools channel, which is ProActive this is the first year we've had a proactive for kids. And I'm going to explain these multiple channels in just a second, but the tap in and tap out is a, a channel for the teachers. And that is for whatever reason, life happens to us. Yeah, I lost my mom, April 10th of last year. Um, and, and grief hits you with the most unopportune times in the weirdest of ways. Um, and there were times I had to just tap out for a minute. I just yeah. had to go in my office, close the door get myself, make sure I'm doing some breathing mindfulness processes to get myself back to grounded, to open my door, to go back out in school and teachers, it's no different. And so basically just go on and say, I want to tap out uh, for whatever reason, an adult will go in take the class and another adult usually responds and asks the adult, do you want somebody to go with you? Or would you prefer to be by yourself? Okay. And that depends on however we respond. And so That tap in and tap out goes to the whole faculty. I think we're going to adjust that. Um, We've done it where it was just to individual teams. We've done it to, it was just individual to core team. We've done it where it was school-wide because um, vulnerability is, it's it's a piece of the school that we all have. I tap out, like, and I openly tap out with adults. I don't, I'll tell you, like, I can't do it right now. I'm not in a space to handle this. I'm going to tap out. Um, So that's one. The other one is Be Well in Schools. We now partner with a local nonprofit called Be Well, and that's what I was telling you. We teach mindful breathing and movement as a self-regulation strategy. And so when kids are starting to show those signs of becoming slightly dysregulated, they're not like throwing desks or screaming. But you can tell. You can always tell. Maybe they're tapping. Maybe they're starting to pace a little bit. They can go on to the Be Well channel and say, I need so-and-so to go to Be Well. Usually, um, the student self-refers, so students can come in and say, I need to go to Be Well. I'm not feeling okay. Um, we let them go. We would rather them take that time then hey
0: man, man. And so, in the middle of the
1: class.
0: Yes, yes.
1: But we let them. The thing I hear on the most is, oh, what if they take advantage? Well, guess what? The work <laughs> is going to be when they get back. Like they're going to take the time, whether you give it to them or not, they're just going to take the time from all the kids in the classroom. That's right. As opposed to just taking it for themselves. That's right. So that's a proactive way where kids and adults do not refer to be well, the kids to be well, they ask them, would you like to go to be well, or do you need some time and be well? It's not a place of punishment. You don't go there to get in trouble. You literally go there. There's a four part check-in process. Um, and kids work through getting themselves regulated. There's actually one in Louisville, Kentucky now too. Um, a new partner school with B-Well, which is oh, right cool. on. Um, we were the second school. Louisville's the third school. There's another school in Nashville. Um, I was trying to get the partnership for three years and then COVID happened nonetheless. And then there's, a, there's one more uh, and it is the SEL channel. Um, and that is if a kid is becoming really dysregulated and the adult in the room has tried to co-regulate and it has not worked. Um, we then come in and we will co-regulate or we'll allow the adult to go with the kid while we take the class, depending on the relationship with the yeah. teacher and the yeah. kid. Um, and so these are all done via group It's just like a chat. It's like a chat change. Um, it's done completely silently. Nobody knows it's happening. Um, yeah, it's really efficient and effective.
0: Man, I love it. Um, yeah, I could. I would totally be a disciple of this church that you are talking about. Um, no, like totally. Um, this is These are things that I have been just in love with um, over the last five, six years, seven years. Um, I remember there was a time uh, when I taught um, at South Heights Elementary in Henderson, Kentucky. I was there for six years. Where, I mean, it, it was a tough school, but it was just tough because kids had a lot of tough things going on. Um, And I remember coming in and coming to the realization one day that my kids acted the worst when I came in in a bad mood. Like, you know, life happens, you know, you're married, you got four kids. Sometimes you come into the building, you're just stressed out. And when I would bring that energy into my classroom, what do you know? Lo and behold, my kids would misbehave that day. Um, And I remember that light bulb going on when I started to think about regulation and co-regulation and sel and all of that stuff um and i'll tell you also in evansville indiana which is right across the river from me um one of my good buddies he's an sel interventionist and so his entire day is exactly what you talked about Um, if a kid is dysregulated it's his job to go into the classroom um pull the kid out and then regulate him enough to where he can get back in the class Um, we, he was actually, he was on maybe episode 10, but I would love to see every school have an SEL interventionist for nothing more than to regulate our kids.
1: Well, and see, I I would love to see every school teach out a proactive space, which is what we do. So we have a be well class. That's just like a school counselor class. Every kid goes to it and we teach them breathing and movement on how to regulate. Because yeah. here's the thing, if we're simply just staying in a space and co this is what I've learned. We've only done this the last year. Uh, and so that we didn't do this before. We actually did through videos from Move This World. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but mm-hmm. it is a web-based. Uh, it's a great It's a great program. Again, not affiliated. Don't get paid by them. Um, but it's uh, it, they have web-based videos that teachers basically just put on. They don't have to plan. And it teaches kids what's called 10 emojis or 10 self-regulation strategies. Oh, right on. And that's what we used for about four or five years until we got an actual person. Sure. So we're extending it um, because I think it's interesting that we expect kids to be able to self-regulate, <laughs> but we don't teach them how to Absolutely. self-regulate. And let's be honest, we don't teach adults how to self-regulate. I mean, I don't know if you're a football fan but I just watched Antonio Brown take his jersey off like an hour and a half ago. Take his jersey off, his 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 uh, pads off. Throw his jersey. Walk off the field with a peace sign before the game even started. Yeah. Right yeah. now, what I also know is he was supposed to get like a three hundred thirty thousand dollar bonus if he scored one more touchdown. He was like getting ready to beat these records, and so I can only imagine he was probably like they didn't. They told him he wasn't going to play the game. Uh- Oh, cool. man. Think, I'll be honest. Three hundred thirty thousand dollars is at stake, and you were preventing me. Yeah, I'm right. Take my jersey off too. That's right. They just talked to the to the uh, to, to the coach, and he's like, he's no longer on the team. He quit. <laughs> it's like, but but we see videos on YouTube all the time. We see videos on planes of dysregulated adults. We see videos of people in restaurants of dysregulated adults. These are skills integral skills that if we are not addressing at school as a social and emotional, not learning. I want to take that L word out. Yes. I want to social and emotional health. Yes. The health of our kids is dependent on it. Now here's what I love to hear is what I, I get this pushback all the time. This isn't the job of the school baloney. That's the job. And matter of fact, we had a legislator, legislator butts ironically was her name who they did a story of us uh, about fall Hamilton. Cause we promote student leadership and voice immensely. We give kids roles. Like they our, our our kids do all the announcements. I just pop in at the end and set expectations for the day. Like I don't do the announcements. It's not my school It's their school, right? We have kids that take, they, they take lunch to pre-K before COVID. They ran the food up because they eat in the classroom. Like we give jobs to our kids. Love it. So they were doing a story on us and, Legislator Butts, gosh, it's so ironic that that is her last name. They they did a story fighting against what we were doing because she said social emotional learning, what I call health, should only be taught in schools and church or at home and church. It shouldn't be touched in schools. I don't know if you're familiar, but I think it's Wisconsin right now is banning the word social emotional learning, banning all of these words, because now it is the next thing that um certain mm. party lines i'm not getting political are starting I to
0: i know i know
1: so it's like wait a minute what social emotional learning you can't talk about no no we can't talk about that we matter of fact i even heard a story it was on npr where a, a, a parent was saying i don't want my kids to learn about those feelings
0: oh okay well then your your kids gonna be in prison
1: <laughs> right like, or not because they probably have privilege that other kids don't that they don't have to worry yeah, about it, right? Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's interesting where the paradigm continues to adjust and shift um, of people outside of our field, um, mandating and regulating what we do on a daily basis. Because, you know, there was a book, I think it was written in 1998, I don't even remember the author or the title, but he said, basically, if a kid doesn't know how to read, what do we do? We intervene, we teach. If they don't know how to do math, we intervene, we teach. If they don't know how to behave at school, what do we do? We punish. We've got to get out of that mindset. No yep. kid has ever learned how to behave by punishing them. Yep, yep, I yep. never learned how to behave, behave, I say that word very loosely, by punishing me when I didn't know what to do when I felt whatever I felt. Um, and yet that is just the foundation of the society um, that we continue to try to fight against.
0: Yeah, it's so it's so crazy to me. Um, so in my ideas, in my ideal ed system, we would take K through five, we would slash the content requirements in half, we would pile on like, like you're talk, talking social and emotional health. Um, because, and again, this is one of my things that kind of ruffles people's feathers. And I'm okay with that, because it would help kids. Um, yes, at one point, schools had the advanced schools had the um, luxury of not having to teach these things. Um, but at that time you had one parent that stayed at home more than likely, Um, you had a a more evenly distributed economic system. Um, you probably had, um, not as high. So, so kids could not pay attention in school and they knew they could drop out at 16 and they'd have a really good job at a blue collar work. We don't have those luxuries anymore. Um, if a student is lucky enough to have two parents, more than likely they are spending an hour, an hour and a half with their parents every night um, because their parents are having to work so much. So, and, and this is, and I'm saying, and I'm, and I'm being personal here. Um, I see my girls maybe an hour and a half every night, um, five nights a week. So how much about life and social and emotional things am I actually teaching my kids very, yeah. very little. And guess what? Yeah. If our schools don't step up, then you have this whole generation. And guess what we do? These whole generations of kids that aren't social and emotionally intelligent and yeah. can't ever can't access the content because they are so stuck in the psychology.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think, honestly, we have kids that are more aware. I think we have kids that are more aware of social justice issues. I think we have kids that are more aware of in tuned with other people in a lot of ways that I wasn't sure. For example, 1994 genocide of, of uh, uh, um, Rwanda. Rwanda. Yep. No clue. No idea. Didn't even know it existed. I was a junior in high school. My world was so far apart from that world. No idea. Rodney. Rodney? <laughs> yeah. There are, kids are accessing information right now. Now, unfortunately they have things like TikTok and all of these other platforms right. that they're also learning things that are probably
0: damaging <laughs> all of
1: us. Right. Yeah. But you think there is a social awareness of kids that we never had because sure. they're, they're accessible. Here's an interesting thing. What we also had is beating children was normal. Mm-hmm. like, it was normalized. It was okay, right? I got it. Like I, we all did. And here's the thing: I spoke in front of uh, a national conference of legislators, and I was talking about trauma-informed work and the impact of trauma and and all of these things, right? And this guy came up to me. He was a legislator out of I'm not going to tell you what state because I don't want I don't. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. It was a western, northwestern state. And he said, "I'll tell you what kids need. They just need their ass whooped. That's all they need." <laughs> and I thought, "This is who's making yeah right nations of right. our law. All kids need is their ass whooped." I'm sorry to tell you, but some of the situations that I see on a day to day basis with the students I serve, the they last are getting that. Yeah, is their ass whooped? They right. need a hug. They need to know somebody stands in a space of caring. Sometimes my son just needs to hear me say, dude, I'm sorry. I'm not okay right now because I had a really hard day at school, but I love you to the nth degree. And I'm going to stop and leave that. And I'm just going to spend time and space with you right now. And so I think progress is not progress in this space of empathy, um, isn't being driven or the lack of isn't being driven by our kids. And I'm going to give you one example. Uh, we had a principal's meeting where they invited high school kids from around Nashville and they actually set them at our tables and we had open dialogue, just open dialogue with kids. They were juniors and seniors in high school from multiple diverse backgrounds from non-English speakers to kids who grew up in Nashville to straight kids to OB. LB- gtq kids to not i mean kids who are are just recently in the country with a translator i mean this was a massive diverse group of people and the one thing i asked was does suspensions really help kids learn better behavior do you know what they said <laughs> absolutely not it's yeah. the most ridiculous response ever when it's a kid up. yeah they know like yeah. they're like this doesn't make any sense but because We've traditionally done these things. It's not the shifts of the minds of our kids. It's the shift of the mind of adults that we have to start focusing on because our kids are already standing in a space of like, this doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. Like, why, why is this happening? I mean, here in Nashville, four teenage girls planned and implemented a 10,000 person march for high school yeah. kids. Yeah. 16, 15, 16, yeah. and
0: 14. And probably leverage the uh, power of social media to do it.
1: Fact like they did it. I yeah. showed up because I'm like, if kids are going to, I'm there. Like, absolutely it's the power of our kids that we don't want the voices they have. We have to begin on some spaces to listen to. Um, because I think what I learned is as a kid, I was to be seen, not heard. Like you don't speak unless you're spoken to. Those days are gone. Way Our beyond. kids yep. have a voice and we've got to start u- having them utilize it in ways that is 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 impactful, is validating for them. Um, but it isn't the era I grew up in. Mine was be quiet. And yeah. if you don't, I'll pop you like. And that was at school too. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that yep. was at school too. A
0: good buddy of mine, uh, Kevin Curtis, who's the uh, CEO of uh, Restorative uh, res- Restorative Educators uh, and um, Responsive, I can't even think of it, but Kevin Curtis, he says that schools are using the 1990s playbook. Um, and we are, you know, we're, and I'm a big proponent of school looks like, what it did when we were in school, we're probably doing it wrong um, because society is so much different. Um, but, you know, I see your principles that you were talking about tonight. I see if we were to turn our elementary schools on their heads and really focus on these things that you were talking about, um, I call it slow down early so we can speed up later. So what if we focused more intent? Intensively on these things in the elementary setting, and then tried to close some of those SEL gaps. By the time the kids got to middle school and then to high school, guess what? Then we could start throwing in the five Cs more. Then we could have kids really, really thinking outside of the box. Um, But we've we just got this so wide disparity. Um, We're never going to fill the academic gap until we. we're never going to close the academic gap until we close the social and emotional
1: gap. Yeah. And I think too this, this, this idea of achievement gap is it, to me, it, it doesn't exist. It's, there isn't an achievement gap. There's an opportunity gap. Sure. What my son has experienced from his birth until age 11 versus what my two foster sons experienced. It isn't an achievement gap. They were extremely capable, but due to the processes of life experiences, they were to the point where their PTSD was so bad, they couldn't access the frontal lobe of their brain. Sure, sure. So it wasn't an an ability, it was an opportunity. And I think, again, going back to 2001, the implementation of standardized testing, we shifted away from validating that every kid isn't going to hit every milestone mm-hmm. every year. I didn't hit the milestone. I graduated Neither. when I was 17 years old with probably the developmental brain of a 14 year old. Sure. Sure. I was not ready to go to college. Obviously I was asked <laughs> to leave. When I did try to go yes. like, but there's this construct that we say, these are the milestones you must hit. Every kid is going to meet or not meet those milestones. But we also know that kids who have experienced trauma have already a struggle sometimes, not every kid that has experienced trauma because trauma doesn't hit every kid the same way. But there is a there is a different space. We also know the disproportionality of kids in low income areas That's right. That's are right. more likely to be suspended more likely to be kicked out go ahead and add the color of their skin absolutely impacts uh-huh. the disproportionality i mean all of these pieces play a part and i think when we just say achievement gap again it puts that this this idea that these gaps are produced by sure ability or a gap in learning no It's not like everything, but that (laughs) that's, that's exactly right. It's an opportunity gap. Some of the kids in my school are much more advanced and brilliant in a lot of things than my childhood
0: adaptive skills.
1: That's exactly right. My, the foster sons that I had for two years, mind you, one had a reading disability. This kid had strategies like I've never coping strategies I've never seen before. He picked up our Roku and was like, Mike, I didn't even know did that. (laughs) Like he used social context and relationships to guard himself when he was asked to do something with reading skills to make sure he could get whatever the information was in a safe way. And then he took all that information, synthesized it and could reproduce it in the most intelligent way I'd ever seen. And I'm like, this kid is stinking brilliant. Future He's CEO. a brilliant kid, yeah. but he couldn't read past a first grade level. But he could comprehend in a logical, methodical way because his life experiences helped him navigate those. And I mean, I think that that's where we're missing the mark in a lot of spaces um, is we see these things with, that we have to fix kids. Um, and we're not fixing kids. We're actually fixing systems, um, that don't validate and see kids, uh, as brilliant because there is an, achievement gap or there is a low performance. I mean, I'm going to be honest, like, well, you know, now ACT scores are almost becoming obsolete. Thank God. Most, you know, I, listen, I barely got in. I'm not, and, and mind you, this is, I'm not telling you when, but I'm also going to be writing a book. I cannot wait in the next couple of weeks. I'll be uh, doing a contract signing. I can't wait. Uh, But if you would have told me that when I was in high school, I'd have been like, shoot. Yes, man. Like, right. But you don't have to have all the intelligence in the world, the academic intelligence to be successful. A lot of our kids have the opportunity to be successful, but, but, we're not opening the door of the opportunity to build their capacity to be successful because they don't score right on the test or they don't, they don't, um, test into advanced academics. I mean, I think there's so much we have to look at differently. Are academics important? Absolutely. 100%. Um, but I also think we missed the mark, uh, on identifying what is academic achievement, because we do only base it on an assessment um, that is done at the end of the year, which does not scale the social and emotional intelligence of our kids, which many of them are highly intelligent.
0: Um,
1: They don't get to identify those skills. And like me, they're told they're uh, ignorant, or they're told they're obnoxious, or they're told that they talk too much. I think it's ironic that um, I, I was standing on a stage in England and I'm speaking to these people and it hit me this memory just like flooded in my brain of me being told to shut my mouth at school and I thought isn't it the ultimate irony <laughs> yeah and yeah. yeah. outside of London England being paid to speak to people about allowing kids to speak like <laughs>
0: irony. Oh,
1: There's so many kids in our schools that are seen as behavior problems, aren't seen as dysregulated kids or maybe not fitting the mold because they can't sit in a chair um, all day. I can't sit in a chair all day. I've never been able to sit in a chair all day. Nope. Even when nope. I was in college courses, I stood in the back of the room sometimes. I think that we just have to reimagine and disrupt these archaic ideas if we have five-year-olds sit in desks all day yep and then get upset when they don't want to sit in a desk all day like i, I don't i don't get it
0: oh i don't get oh, it
1: really fired up over this
0: listen um I there are so many nuggets of just truth that you have dropped that we have talked about today um i definitely feel um like we could go on for hours about this. Um, there's so much of what you're talking about that I like 100% agree with. Um, I, man, just, I, I wanna make sure that sometime I make it down to fall Hamilton because I wanna see it in action. Um, I wanna see the smiles on the faces of those kids because I can only imagine. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big big believer every day. I try to make sure all of my students feel valued, seen and heard. And I can just imagine that fall Hamilton, those kids know every day, number one, that they are valued. I, I can guarantee it. Um, it sounds like you're big on student voice, so I'm sure they're heard. Um, and, and and I would also gather that they're all seen, um, just with your check-in, check-out, everything else. So um, I just love what you're doing down there, man. I'm going to start to wrap us up, because like I said, we could go on for literally hours about this. Um, But thank you very, very much, Matt, for coming on the Big Ed Idea podcast this evening. Um, It has been tons of fun. Um, I say, and I say this with complete honesty, it is awesome to connect with other crazy people out in the world of education that see things the way that I do. Um, I have been told in my career that I am too out of the box. I have been told, um, you know, that my ideas did not fit with the current um, district that I was in. Um, So it's really nice and it's really, mm, how do I say it? It's it's, it's just awesome to connect with people that see things the way
1: I do. And I, I will tell you, I'm blessed to be in a district that doesn't tell me that. Um, that encourages innovation, that encourages uh, us to do things a bit differently. So I hate that you've had that experience. (laughs) But I'll also tell you, there are places where you can spread your wings and fly in this work unapologetically uh, for kids. And I think that's what educators need to know, that there are Outside of the box districts that are going to say, let's try to do it differently because sure. we know that isn't working. Um, and if you're a new teacher, find those schools, find okay. those places, um, because man, it is challenging if you don't. Yeah. Um, and I can't imagine. I'm going to be honest. I wouldn't. I wouldn't last in a in a district that wouldn't allow me. And I actually did apply, and was going to be given a school in another district. And thank goodness at the last minute, I had somebody come and say, don't do it, like, <laughs> we will not allow you. Uh, and I didn't. And I said, thank you for the offer, but I'm, I'm going to decline. Um, yeah. But they, these, these utopias um, do exist. There is no perfect school. There is no perfect district. Um, and this work is really, I want to end with one thing. This work is really hard. I don't want anybody to think that I don't get frustrated. I haven't made a mistake. I have not always been trauma-informed. I suspended kids my first year as a principal. I suspended kids my second year as a principal. For the last three years, I have not suspended a single child because now it's a prog- it's a progression. It's a continuum of learning. What I did when I was a first principal, I don't do anymore. Probably what I do right now in 10 years, I probably will say, I can't believe I did that. Um, and so I think pre-forgiveness and a lot of self-grace is really important in this work. We all make mistakes. Um, and I think there is no perfectly trauma informed anything, um, and that we all are trying to do what's best for kids. And sometimes with the best intentions do not match our outcome. And I would say, encourage everyone to remember what your intention was when you became an educator and make sure your outcomes are directly aligned to the intent because my intention was to build, inspire, educate kids to see themselves uh, at their best. But what I was doing to kids wasn't actually matching what the outcome was. And so I think if we consider and, and keep that ethical um, compass when we're addressing kids and when we mess up, simply apologizing. Yep. Own it. Yep. Own it. Hey, I was disregular. I'm sorry I yelled at you. I shouldn't have done that. Right. Um, is what I hope every educator takes away.
0: Well, Matt, super, super powerful, um, super powerful episode. Uh, My folks out there that are listening, I know you would agree. This has been one of those episodes that just gives you goosebumps from start to finish. Um, Matthew, thanks again. Um, Please let our folks know um, how they could connect with you. If they wanted to pick your brain, uh, maybe you know, they just, just want to connect with you. How could they do that?
1: I am very, well, I'm, I'm active, not very active on social media. I'm a real live principal every day. So my, my social media usage goes up and down, but I'm principal S principal EST um, on Twitter, as well as Instagram. I'm Matthew Portell on Facebook. I tell people, if you want to like, see my life, that's Facebook. If you want to like, hear my thoughts professionally, that's Twitter. If you want to see a combination of ideas <laughs> yeah. and a child or Disney, yeah. go to Instagram. Yeah. Uh, LinkedIn, I'm not as active on, but I am on LinkedIn. Um, and I do have my own podcast called the Trauma-Informed Educators Network Podcast. And I also host a international conference every year called the Trauma-Informed Educators Network Conference. Um, I have not tied down the dates yet. I know it will be in June. Um, But it is actually very reasonably priced and does have international um, participation, and we actually use trauma-informed practices in the conference, which is such a novel idea. So we, uh, after every two sessions, you have a home group where you'll meet with the same group of people over the course of two days. Right on, that's Um, awesome. When you leave, you actually have a network, hence the idea of the Trauma-Informed Educators Network. Um, And by that same name, there's a Facebook group that I started in 2018 that's now 28,000 people called the Trauma-Informed Educators Network Group, where they're sharing ideas. Um, People are coming there saying, I need this, or there's free webinars. Um, There's constantly, uh, matter of fact, 10,000 interactions every month. Um, of people just going on there to connect with other people so there's a lot of avenues uh, that I hope to be able to provide resources to people
0: phenomenal phenomenal. is that a conference going to be in Nashville
1: it is we 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 had it in person the year before Um, normally I have it all lined out by this time but I'm still waiting on uh, one of the local universities to respond with the dates so
0: yep and everything's who knows what's going to be you know Okay. So, uh, and then to my listeners, um, I am going to close out by saying, I would love to hear some of your big Ed ideas. I know you got them or you wouldn't be listening. Um, Don't think that your idea is too crazy. Believe me, um, it is the crazy ideas that actually change the world. So please reach out to me. Um, You can reach me at Um, on Twitter at Ryan C. Scott 1981. Um, You can reach me on Facebook. Just look me up, Ryan Scott. Um, You can find me on Instagram, Ryan Scott 1981. Um, Yeah, let me know. Let's do this. Let's change the world of education because darn it, our kids need it. Um, And so I'm going to close this like I love to do Using the immortal words of the best grandfather anybody ever had, his name was John Janosky. Every single time I left his house, he would say, Ryan, I will see you in the funny paper. And together, let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper.